by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. I got a package of M&Ms whoever shouts out the answer to this question first. Where do they, what city do they currently house the bones of Jesus? They don't. He's risen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're, his bones are not in the ground. He is alive. Hallelujah. Somebody might as well shout with me today because I'm not going to shout by myself. I'll go down the street to the Baptist church if I have to. <laughs> oh, he did it. He did it. He is alive and well because he lives. I can, I can tell you right now I can't put up with this. <laughs> well, some of you are thinking, who is this guy? I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm Pastor Guy Sheffield. I am so glad that you came to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with us because we have a good time here. We celebrate. We got reason to celebrate in this church, man. We just, we're, we're a warm, fun-loving family, and we're glad that you came to be with us on this Resurrection Sunday. Let me pray. Calm myself down so we can get on with this. Father God, I thank you for every life represented here in these purple seats today. I thank you for the love that went into inviting these people, the love that went into you creating these people, the love that has chased these people down, myself included. Each one of us, you have chased us down with your love. I thank you so much for giving us a reset in life. I thank you that, that you're going to speak to us today and we're going to have ears to hear and our hearts are going to receive and we're not going to leave the same as we came in this morning. I know it because I can sense your presence and where the presence of the Lord is, there's fullness of joy and people in here need joy. People in here are downtrodden, they need peace. Father, minister to us today. Let me be your mouthpiece. Use me as you see fit. Let us relax. Everybody just take a deep breath of that Easter air, that resurrection that Jesus has provided for our lungs. That peace. Thank you, Jesus, for your peace and for your joy. Let it flow here today. May your name be lifted up. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So I guess you came to hear a resurrection story this morning, huh? Well, you came to the right place. We're not going to preach about little furry bunnies or fertility eggs or none of that stuff. We're going to talk about something that really happened. <laughs> We're going to talk about something that really took place, an actual event. We've been in a series, and this will be the grand finale of the series. It's called Locating Me, where we've been looking at the, the actual people who were there in Jerusalem on Passover week, you know, the, we call Passion Week, uh, for Jesus' arrival, his death, burial, and resurrection. The people, the real people who were there to witness it, that were there with Jesus, that they're opposed to Jesus, wherever they were at, they were real people, and we've been identifying some of them, and we've been saying, where can I locate me in their life? You know, seeing how they acted and thinking, well, how come they acted that way? Trying to see things from their perspective. And, and we can see why people do the things that they do. And, when, and that's what the Bible was given to us for, so we can locate me, right? So are you ready to locate me today? Somebody's like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know if I want to find me. <laughs> well, just relax. God's got it all under control. We'll start with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Can you imagine that? Say God on a donkey. <laughs> Stop and think about that for a minute. The, the thing I see about this story is just so amazing. It just gets better and better. It's like you can't make this stuff up. God on a donkey. That's amazing to me. I mean, I used to ride a donkey. I used to drive something what I considered like a donkey. 
My first car was a putrid green Datsun B210, a 1977 model. Does anybody remember, even remember Datsun? <laughs> I think they went out of business or got sold out or whatever. But anyway, my Datsun had some interesting upgrades, I would say. At one point, I remember I had thrown a pickle out, and it stuck on the, on the front of the hood there, and I just left it there for an, or, an ornament. You know, I never washed the vehicle, so over time, it just hardened there. And so, you know, I had a stylish ornament, a pickle ornament. <laughs> the car was in, unusual in the fact that my granddad, for some unknown reason, had spot-welded a trailer hitch on the back of this four-cylinder <laughs> I guess to take it full advantage of its 120-pound towing capacity. I don't know. But I had that in case I ever needed it, you know. Uh, when you try to get in the thing, the door hinges on the driver's side were broke. You'd open it like this. <laughs> Sparks shooting all on your ankles and stuff trying to get in. You had to pick it up to shut it, you know, and get it just right to close. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it had a removable stereo. Didn't realize that until somebody came in and removed it. <laughs> they broke in and removed it. And then there was this hole in the dash. And so I just put stuff in there. So I had, I had a hole in the dash. It was a nice hole to keep your stuff, you know. One of the things I really liked about it was the motors on the windshield wipers. Did anybody ever have a car like this? Something you, back then I couldn't afford to fix anything, so if it broke, it just broke, you know. Then I would find a way around it. Well, the windshield wipers broke, so they wouldn't do that anymore. And so I got a coat hanger and ran it outside the vehicle over to the windshield and then connected it to a big stick. And I would roll the window down enough, you know, in the rain. And so when it would rain, I'd do this number here. Oh, <laughs> I think Jesus' donkey might have been an upgrade to this Datsun B210. I don't know. That went over real well on a date, you know. <laughs> that B210 overall was quite a steal until somebody stole it and brought it back. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. Nothing I'm saying today is made up, okay? Somebody stole my Datsun B210 out of the parking lot, and I was like, Good. <laughs> and what made me mad is two days later, they brought it back. And it's in the parking lot again. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> Help me out here. Anyway, I say all that to, about this crazy car to tell you, one day I was driving down the interstate in Memphis, and a big old squall come up. I could see the storm coming. And soon, I, you know, I didn't know any better. I, I was getting my channel locks out trying to roll the window down so I could get my stick, you know, ready. <laughs> so, so the, the wind started blowing me all over the road. I'm too dumb to stop. I'm trying to drive through it and do this number here, and I'm going all over the road, and all of a sudden, blam! But we'll get to that in a little while. We've got to get on with our message. We'll finish that story in a minute. But what's more amazing is God rides into town on a donkey. Y'all understand Jesus is God, right? Y'all going to have to help me. In real life... Men and women, boys and girls, they're, they're lying in the road. They're so excited. They're throwing the coats down, palm leaves. and, and uh, These are people with mortgages, just like you and me, just regular average people. They're excited. They got donkey payments themselves, you know. And so, but they're excited. What if? What, what if this is the Messiah? And hope is rising. Excitement is rising up on the inside of them. They had heard about this Jesus. And they're excited, so they start to throw their stuff down. And they're thinking, what if God really does care about this dirt ball we call earth? Oh, he cares. Luke 19, 41 says, But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Look at your neighbor say, God crying. God's riding on a donkey, and God's crying. It says, how I wish today that you, of all people, my people, would understand the way to peace. I think he would say the same thing to you here today. 
of all people, I, I just wish you guys would understand the way to peace. How many needs understands you got to have some peace in this crazy world? A lot of you, probably all of you are here today because you're looking for some kind of peace in this place. And Jesus is saying, I wish you would understand the way. And he's weeping over Jerusalem. Well, it didn't take long for the adoration of this fickle crowd. You know how fickle a crowd can be to turn cold. So Jesus, he spends the first half of the week, he's reasoning with unreasonable people. How many knows what that's like? They're like, show us a miracle, keep us entertained. Maybe some of you came here today saying, that pastor better show me a miracle. <laughs> he better keep us entertained today. <laughs> well, I'll do my best, but it'll be Jesus through me, all right? <laughs> but Jesus ain't all about that. Let's talk about the disciples. We're going to get on some people, and we're going to look at their lives, and we're going to locate me. Say, I'm going to locate me today. Jesus knew the disciples weren't ready because they would have tests ahead. How many knows you're going to have tests ahead too? This life is going to provide one trial after another. And Jesus knew the disciples weren't ready, so he calls this Last Supper. And man, if you read through the book of John, half of that book is all written from that supper. I mean, Jesus is cramming, cramming them for the test ahead. He tells them, I love y'all. I love, he tells them how much he loves them. He tells them to love one another. He teaches them to serve one another. He gets down on his knees with a bowl of water and begins washing the nasty feet of his disciples. Say, God washes our feet. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> he predicts that they'll all fall away. He tells Peter that you will for sure. <laughs> Peter, dummy, after you fall, get back up. Get back into the game, Peter, because I'm going to use you because I, because I need you to strengthen your brothers. Now, I wrote this, and if you're following along in your little sheets there, there's a blanks that you can fill out. It says, don't let your past failure suppress your future usefulness to God. I'll say that again. Don't let your past failures suppress your future usefulness to God. I think I may be locating somebody there. Because some of you may used to come to church and may used to do some things, and then you may have had a failure. I think I may be locating me. <laughs> I think we've all had failures, right? And so maybe you backed off and you thought there was no more future usefulness in your life. But anyway, he goes on, he makes what I consider the most incredible statement ever by, made by a human man. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Isn't that incredible? He didn't say, I am a way, a truth. You know, he is the way, the truth, and the life. I thought that was amazing. But he wasn't through with them yet. He said, man, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and while I'm gone, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost and the works that I've been doing. You'll be able to do greater works than this because I'll be up there interceding for you. And the same power be in you that was in me. And he reassures them that, that the Father loves them too. And he, he leaves them his peace. He prays with them an intimate prayer that we see written down for us in John chapter 17. And they sing a song together, and he leads them to the garden to pray some more. Talk about helping someone cram for a test. What more could Jesus do? But see, he knew the test was about to be administered in the garden. Those poor little disciples, they couldn't stay awake for it. <laughs> Not even one hour. All the cramming Jesus could get into them, they're still humans. You know, we're still humans. We're not perfect yet. But the poor things couldn't stay awake. And Jesus is he's standing there sweating blood, and they think it's nap time. Am I locating anybody here? Maybe me a little bit, because when I get my Bible out, you know, and start trying to read, uh, I get to praying. You know why? 
I figured it out. It's because I wait till the last thing in the day. I try to fit God in at the last hour. You know, I should have got up when I was bright and <laughs> spry out of bed or something. You know, I guess we all got our different times. Some of you, that might not work. But, but you don't wait till the last thing. Try to fit God. That's what we try to do. We try to fit God in in the last minute. Well, that might help somebody. But then Judas, he had been there for the dinner. He ate, but then he snuck out. And he went and sold out his Savior for 30 pieces of silver. He comes back to the garden with a whole crew of soldiers. And he bounces up like it's hug a traitor day and gives Jesus a big fat kiss on the, lip, on the cheeks, I guess. Let's talk about Judas. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I don't, I don't want to see myself in Judas. Well, there's... There may be something we can find here because I reckon what was wrong with Judas, he just had false expectations about why Jesus was here. He's like, Jesus, I thought we was going to take over. I thought we was going to set up the new Jerusalem. Come on, what's with the riding a donkey thing? Come on, let's get in action. Where's the troops? What are you doing all this talking for? Why, why don't we just destroy these people and bring in the new Jerusalem? See, Judas didn't realize that Jesus must first come as a suffering servant. We get false expectations about what Jesus is doing, but, but God always works on the inside first. He does things in the spiritual realm, and they work their way to the outside, but they first begin on the inside. He didn't realize that if he just brought in the new Jerusalem right there, there wouldn't be nobody to populate it because there wasn't nobody worthy to be in it. So Jesus was dealing with the heart of man before he got to a place where he could bring in the new Jerusalem. Does that make any sense? Say amen. Y'all ain't helping me very good today. Let me ask you a question. Were you given... False expectations about your Christianity. Because, see, that's why a lot of people betray Jesus. They say, well, it didn't turn out the way I thought it should have been. Were you promised a trouble-free life? Divine health and prosperity if you just say this the right way and you believe hard enough? So many people have been hurt by a false gospel. They were told these things, and then somebody died. They were told these things. They lost their job. They went bankrupt, and they're like, this ain't supposed to happen. I'm a Christian now. But Jesus told us in this life, we'll have persecutions. We'll have trials, tribulations. That's a condition called earth. That's where we're at right now. He just said, I'll be with you through those things, and I will give you the ultimate victory. Am I locating anybody yet? Because I, I, I've been through that. I, I felt this thing of what my expectations were about Jesus. And they didn't come true. And I got mad at God and I shouted at God. I'm just being real with you. This thing's supposed to happen, God. I, the Bible says this and this. And my understanding didn't understand that God must work in the spiritual realm first. And I wanted my heaven now. Look at your neighbor and say, this ain't heaven yet. Come on, do it like you mean it. This ain't heaven yet. This ain't it. But there is a day coming. There is a day coming when all the books will be settled. Go ahead and get that, get that in your mind. We want our treasure now. Judas wanted his treasure now. So do we. But this ain't heaven yet. Now I'm going to make a crazy statement. As if the things I said before hadn't been crazy. The stupidest thing Judas ever did was not to betray Jesus. It was not that he betrayed Jesus. That wasn't, the, that wasn't his biggest mistake. What? That's what he's known for. But the stupidest thing he did was he wouldn't repent after he did it. He wouldn't repent. We've all betrayed Jesus. Peter betrayed Jesus. He denied him three times on the same day. But even old hard-headed Peter had enough sense 
to come back and repent. And God was able to use his life, had future usefulness for Peter, right? Peter went on to be the pillar of the church, did great things. Some of you, am I locating anybody? Not. Might be a little painful to locate yourself. So Jesus, well, let me say this. Judas didn't recognize the immensity of God's grace and forgiveness. It's immense. His mercy is new every day. He's on your side if you'll just come to him and stop running from him. So Jesus is brought before the Pharisees. And the religious are always trying to kill Jesus. I've said it and I'll say it again. The religious are always trying to kill Jesus. When I say religious, I mean those who are trying to be right in God's sight by their own works. Who think that I'm good enough. Look at my self-righteousness, you know. But they all always must do so at the expense of God's grace. I ask a lot of people, we went door to door yesterday, and a lot of them, you know, they have this works mentality. You ask them if they, if they died, would they go to heaven? And they say, well, I'm a good person. You know, I try to go around doing good. Immediately, they go to self. They don't go to the cross. If anybody, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious stand. If any one of us could be good enough to get to heaven, when Jesus was in the garden and he said if there was another way, then God would have said, well, apparently Angie's good enough, so we don't need you to go to the cross. If there would have been, but Jesus said, I am the way. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Matthew 26, 67. They're holding this kangaroo trial for Jesus. They're not interested in judge, uh, justice at all. I mean, if so, they would have done it at daytime. They're, they're, they've run him off to this house. It's not even a courtroom. They've got him bound, uh, making him look like he's guilty before he's even been charged. They're doing everything they can to pervert justice. They're just simply there to find reason to kill Jesus. Matthew 26, 67 says, they began to spit in Jesus' face, and they beat him with their fist. Say, God spit on. And some slapped him, jeering. Prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? What is so amazing about this is these were the religious people. These were the people claiming to speak for God, claiming to love God. And they're treating Jesus like this. The fact that they would treat anybody like this as people who claim to speak for God is amazing. Why such hatred? Why did they have such contempt? Because they were jealous. They were jealous. Because the self-righteous, the religious, they always say, hey, look at me. Don't look at Jesus. Look at me. You know, he's good and all, and we're pretending to, to like him, but really it's about me. See how good I'm doing? You know, all those people got saved, that was me. Look at all the notches on my belt, you know. John the Baptist had it right when he said, I must decrease he must increase. That's the way it's supposed to be. Your estimation of self's got to go down. Your estimation of Jesus has got to go up. It's called humility. I don't know about you, but ever since I've been born again, he is working in that. I, have, I must have been the most prideful person in the world because he hammers me over and over. It's a life is day-to-day -day instruction in humility. And when you see the things that God went through, it's like, if he could humble himself like that, man, shouldn't I also humble myself? People with the religious spirit believe the opposite of John the Baptist. They think I must increase. Are we locating anybody? 
Somebody's honest. That's good because I locate me in that. Really. I locate me sometimes trying to take credit for stuff. God, you see how good that was? I'd be t- going to God saying, God, we did good, didn't we? I did good. I must decrease. So they have this kangaroo trial, and when they get through, how are we going to get him killed? Okay, we got him condemned now. How are we going to get him killed? That's the Mississippi word, killed. So they bring him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Let's talk about Pilate. He was a career man. He was under great pressure from his job. Man, he was consumed with the rat race. Schedules, time, court dates, this, that. Am I locating anybody? I know I am. Don't even raise your hand. I know what time we live in. <laughs> what, what is amazing about this story is a man, Pilate, was to be the judge of the judge of the universe. Wow. How would you like that responsibility? <laughs> and he knew Jesus was innocent. If you read the story, he says over and over, I find this man innocent. Well, why didn't he strike the gavel down and say, it's done? But he wouldn't do it. He was a people pleaser. He couldn't make the call. Some of you might locate yourself right there. I didn't say it. Okay, I did. (laughs) He was more concerned with appearances than truth. He was the one who said, what is truth? When truth was right there in his face. He was worried about what other people might think. And he tried to wash his hands of the whole thing. I'm innocent of this man's blood, but can you wash your hands of Jesus? Does it work like, wouldn't it be nice if we could just wash our hands of Jesus? No. Decisions have consequences. And with Jesus, indecision also has consequences. You can't wash your hands of Jesus. There's not enough water in the ocean. No one can avoid personal responsibility for his death. We're all complicit in his death. Either Jesus died for you, or you will die for you in the end. So Jesus is brutally beaten within an inch of his life with a cat of nine tails, with a lead-tipped whip. An innocent man, declared innocent, but yet, (laughs) let's beat him. And then they make him carry his cross to Golgotha, 650 yards from where he was judged innocent. And he carries it as far as he could go, I guess, for his far as his body would take him after the beating and the slapping and the all-night trials and the scourging. And there we meet a man named Simon the Serene. Or Serene is what I usually say. Matthew 27, 32 says, Along the way they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Poor Simon. He's just an innocent bystander, you know. Just came here to do his religious duty. I can imagine it. Well, well wait a minute. Don't, don't, I, I can't carry the cross. Look, I, I, I've come 900 miles to get here to eat the Passover. If I touch that man's blood, it will defile me. I'll be declared unclean by the law. Simon, we're all declared unclean by the law. But but this is embarrassing. The, The people will think I'm the guilty one. Simon, you are the guilty one. Jesus will mess up your religion. Are you listening to me? Jesus will mess up your religion. I might be messing up somebody's religion right now. 
because we're dealing with the messy cross of Jesus Christ. Don't you just hate when you come to do your religious duty and you're forced to deal with the cross? Man, can't we, can't we just recite the Lord's Prayer and light a few candles and say kumbaya and get out of here? I mean, I got work to do. I got places to be. You know, I've already given up a whole hour on Sunday of my life. <laughs> and why does this Christianity have to be so messy? Why can't it be nice and tidy? Why can't it be civilized? Why the blood? Why is Christianity so messy? Because people are messy. And God loves people. Jesus came to get messy. He didn't come down here to sit in uh, king's palaces with silk robes. Jesus came to get messy for you and for me. I like to think that somewhere along the the way to Golgotha, Simon is carrying Jesus' cross, and he, maybe he gets a, steals a glimpse into the swollen eyes of God's glo- uh, love, not his gloves, his love. And I like to think maybe he quietly slipped from the clutches of a dusty old religion into the arms of grace. You see, that's what we're talking about today. Aren't you... Ever, I'm tired of dusty old religion where it's all based on me and how I'm acting. I don't know about you, I need some grace. Luke 23, 33 says, When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. I thought it was interesting that they just run right through that so quick. It's not elaborating on the part that Jesus, God in the flesh, say God is crucified. God, are you listening to what came out of your mouth? God is crucified. God is crucified. This story keeps getting more and more bizarre. Anyway, if I'd have wrote the Bible, I'd have had two or three chapters on the part where they're nailing him and how it felt. And But no, they nailed him to a cross, and then there was two thieves with him. And those two thieves, you see, they're, they're receiving their just reward. They're receiving what they are due, and they're about to bust hell wide open. Even though they pay, they're paying for their sins here on the earth, They've got a bigger debt to pay that they can't pay. And both of them are railing on Jesus. Man, can you imagine how cocky people are? That they would live that lifestyle and rail on Jesus. I hope I'm not locating anybody in here. But somewhere along the line, one of them started to soften. I don't know, maybe he got a glimpse into those loving eyes. Just being near Jesus, maybe it brought peace even in the midst of his pain and suffering. Jesus has a way of doing it. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. Maybe, I don't know, something began to change in one of the thieves and he, he began to soften. Begin to change his tune. And that's all it took to change his destination. Wow. Just stopped railing on the man. Humble yourself for a moment and grab hold of his grace. I hope I'm locating somebody that'll do that here today. You know, Jesus has a way of getting into getting to the heart of what's in us. Turn to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Jesus has a way 
getting to the heart. It says in verse 12, for the word of God is alive. The word of God is alive. That's what we're celebrating here today, isn't it? John chapter 1 says he is the word of God. 1 John chapter 1 says he is the word of God. Meaning that these thoughts, this Bible was written from the heart of Jesus. This is who he is. He's called the word of God. And it says the word of God is alive and powerful. (laughs) It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow between lies and truth i just threw that in between our garbage and our possibility i just threw that in just coming to me man he'll get down in there it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires what I thought I hid that from God. I th- I've been walking in the darkness. He can't see me there. It says nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Oh. God has already located you. God already knows where you're at. He knows you better than you know you. We're here trying to locate ourselves. God's like, I already knew that. He knows your innermost thoughts. And we think we're hiding from God. (laughs) We better not try to hide from the one we're accountable to. Anyway, before I digress, Jesus is killed like a common criminal. And he's laid in a borrowed tomb. Man, I'm preaching long today. Isn't I? <laughs> Jesus is, he's, gives up the ghost. He said it is finished. He's been killed like a common criminal and they laid him in a borrowed tomb. And people go their way. What do we do now? I guess we'll go home. They disperse. These people that were so full of hope. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they're like, hope crushed. It's been snuffed out again. Same old result. Death always wins. No matter what you do, you build this kingdom, and then here comes death and takes it all away, and somebody else gets your stuff out of it. It's our ultimate end. There's no escape. It's just death looming out there for all of us. Makes our little brief experiment in life seem pointless, doesn't it? Meaningless. Even vain. How pitiful that that we should dare to believe in anything. What's the use? And the, the earth just continues to... To spin on its axis silently. People go home. Imagine heaven represses a gasp. Because God is dead. Say God is dead. Is that hard to say? Say God is dead. Turn to Matthew 28. I mean, if you, if you can. <laughs> I mean, what's the use, but we'll go there. I mean, if God is dead, then this, this is useless to us. Isn't it? <laughs> but what, for the sake of finishing the message. Verse 1. It says, early 
early on Sunday morning. As a new day was dawning. What day is it? It was early on a Sunday morning. A new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone <laughs> and sat on it. Sat on it. Just, yeah, I did this. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes was white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. <laughs> then the angel spoke to the woman and said, don't be afraid. He said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. <laughs> Just as he said would happen. He told us it was going to happen. Come see where his body was lying. Look at your neighbor right in the eye and say, God resurrected. <laughs> I'm sorry I got down for a minute. I'm sorry I started thinking like the world for a minute. I forgot who I am in Christ. I forgot chapter 28. I forgot that wasn't the end of the story. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee and you'll see him here. Remember what I told you. It was good news to them back then. Can you imagine how they felt when they saw Jesus? They'd been walking with the man. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him calm storms, feed the multitudes, go about doing good, healing all those. They thought he was it. And then now he's dead. They, they just didn't remember what he had told them, that he will rise again. Maybe some of you feel dead in here today. I got good news because he lives. You can live. Because he was resurrected, you can still be resurrected. But a couple of the disciples, you know, they weren't there for the good news. They took off. Well, I guess we'll just go back home. I don't know. They live seven miles down the road in Emmaus. They're confused. I mean, they don't know where to go from here. Maybe that was you. Maybe you can locate where you used to be. One of them's name's Cleopas. We don't even know the other guy's name. But Jesus said, I'll get these two. Now think about that. That's amazing. Jesus just came out of the tomb. He was just resurrected. He don't want to sleep it off and have, you know, some downtime. He don't want to throw a party and call all of his friends over and said, we did it. He wants to chase down two wayward disciples. We don't even know one of them's name. He's walking seven miles straight out of the tomb, seven miles towards Emmaus, chasing down two wayward disciples. Talk about leaving the 99 and going find the one. <laughs> it's amazing. Jesus will chase you down. How many can testify? You can run if you want to, but you can't run farther than Jesus. You can't outrun him. Say, God's seeking me. Say, God's seeking you. Luke 24, 32 says, they said to each other, did not, this is after they talked to Jesus. He caught up with them, you know, told them the scriptures and, and said, reminded them, didn't, why did y'all not believe? Didn't I tell you I was coming back? And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Hey, there's an idea. Let's get into scriptures so we don't have to everything take us by storm. <laughs> And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. I mean, they, they ate that meal, and they got their stuff together and said, let's go back. We got to get back involved in what the church is doing. They were on their way back because their hearts were burning within them. You know what? Maybe we don't so much need to locate ourselves in all these people. Maybe we need to locate ourselves in Jesus. Now that we know where we've been, let's begin to locate ourselves in Jesus. That's just an idea. I don't know. 
Let's talk about what we saw about Jesus. God on a donkey. Remember we talked about God on a donkey? Because love has humility. And I need humility. I need to locate myself in some humility. God is crying. Why? Because love is emotional about messy people. Maybe I need to be more emotional about messy people, not just think about myself all the time. God washing our feet. Why? Because love serves. Are you serving God in some capacity? God spit on. Why? Because love is willing to suffer injustice. It'll take the hit because it's the bigger person. It'll protect somebody else at the expense of itself. God crucified. Love will help you endure the pain. Love will help you endure the pain. God is dead. Remember saying these things with me? Because greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Maybe we need to do some laying down. Maybe it's been about us for too long. Maybe we need to help somebody else get to their dreams. Just of all. And God resurrected because love never fails. Love never fails. You, you couldn't keep love in the tomb. Death couldn't hold him. Love never fails. In whatever situation you're going through in your life, wherever you're at, the answer to you is follow after love. What, is, what would love tell you to do? And if it causes you more pain, then bear the pain because you're following after love and you know in the end you're saving up treasures in heaven, not on earth where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal. I'm preaching better than y'all are saying amen. <laughs> and God seeking you because God knows your name. We're not told the other guy's name, but God knows your name. I can guarantee you. Stop walking the road to Emmaus. Stop walking away. You know full well what happened back there on that cross. Some of you have been hearing this message for years, and you're still walking away confused. Don't act like your heart's not burning within you. You can't hear this message about Jesus' love and the extravagance of it and the things that he endured and the craziness of it all for us and your heart not burn within you. Dare to believe in life again. Don't let the, the busyness of, of during the week cause your joy to wane. We have to stir ourselves up. And our, remember our first love. Rekindle that fire. That's why we go to church. That's why church needs to be a part of your... If you stay out of church, man, you are, you're heading to Emmaus. You need to be heading to Jerusalem. A part of what God is doing. These disciples hoofed it back and they got in on what the church was doing. And we would love for you to get in on what we're doing here or, or wherever you are at, whatever church you go to. God is doing something. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That is the church you're supposed to be helping to advance God's agenda, his kingdom. You have purpose. You have destiny. Every last one of you. Don't walk away from it. What a sad story to tell God, on the last day I went that way, God said, I wanted you to go that way. Look, this is, a this is a message of hope resurrected. God's not mad at you. You're walking away. Death has been defeated, and purpose can be restored. That's, that's what we do here. We're at the bottom of that thing right there. We're a fire igniting passionate, as you can tell, passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. God's not dead. He's alive. God is, will be alive in you 
to the extent that you allow him to take control. Well, let me finish my story. I'm driving my donkey down the expressway in the middle of a storm, and I got my window halfway down so I can do this number here and work my wipers. And then, blam, out of nowhere, all I can see is this green putrid something or another in front of me. I can't see the road anymore. And I realized my hood had blown back. And I'm doing 50, 60 miles an hour, you know, top speed on this donkey. <laughs> and I can't see anything. And I'm trying to look out. And I saw some little vents down where the, there was vents in the hood. And I could see through those. And I was able to safely pull it over to the side of the road. And I get out in this stinging rain. And I go and I'm looking. And sure enough, the hood is just bent back over the top of the car, and I'm like, what am I going to do? But thankfully, those Datsun engineers were, were ready for just such a case as this. They had purposely made this hood so thin that I was able to bend it back down by hand. <laughs> you know, I experienced two more blams on the way home that day. I got good at the gangsterling, looking out the thing, you know, pulling over. But I never once thought about tying that hood down. In fact, I had that car for years after that. I was more nervous than a rat terrier traipsing through a minefield every time I'd get above 40 miles an hour, you know, waiting for the next blam in life. One storm to the next. And, you know, our lives are like that. We have all these weird upgrades that's happened to us along the way. You may have a pickle on your forehead or something. I don't know. But things happen. Life happens. Things break. We ain't the same as we used to be. Our lives have become these donkeys. <laughs> we got a hole in our dash. And we're riding from one storm to the next. Isn't it time that we tie down our salvation? Isn't that something you need to know? Isn't that assurance of your salvation something you need to know that's going to carry you through these tough, difficult times in which we live? At least tie down your salvation. Jesus is coming back on a white horse, and I don't want to still be driving a donkey when he gets here. <laughs> I want to ride with him. I, Jesus has upgraded. He's coming on a white horse. And he is coming back to set up a new kingdom. Bow your head. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Hey!